Hey guys, it's been a while since we've all been together, but, uh, did you hear anything weird that happened on Friday? Did you do anything fun? Uh, I mean, I flossed a couple extra times. That that was nice. Yeah, I don't know, not much. I mean, maybe something about hearing yabba-dabba-doo a bunch of times, but, yeah, other than that... Yabba-dabba-doo, Tom. Pretty, pretty what, normal. have you been watching a couple episodes of The Flintstones or something? But, <laughs> I mean, I saw a bunch of Pyron fans saying that they've got eight reasons why they're happy on this Friday, and for the life of me, I can't even think of a reason why. Hello and welcome in after the first weekend of the Bundesliga. We are back full time with everybody in house now for a new episode of the Bavarian Podcast Work Show. Hello, everybody. My name is Jake Fenner. I'm joined by Chuck Smith and Tom Adams. Guys, how are you doing on this fine, fine day? Jake, I am awesome. I hope you are doing uh, just as good as I am. And Tom, I know you are because you are always doing awesome. Awesome. I mean, aside from dealing with a little bit of a hamstring strain from my adult league uh, over the weekend, you know, very, very positive at the very least because uh, we've got a big win to talk about. And it's not in Tom's Sunday league team. I can guarantee you that. Bayern Munich versus Schalke in the very first weekend of the season. It happened on a Friday. It was the first time that we saw ESPN covering the Bundesliga. A phenomenal job done by everyone over there. Kay Murray, Taylor Twellman, and of course, friend of the pod, Derek Ray. Four minutes in seems a little too late in my opinion, for Bayern to start scoring. There's a problem if we only start scoring four minutes in, apparently. Uh, Serge Gnabry, a great start for Bayern. The new number six to the new number seven. A beautiful pass from Joshua Kimmich to Serge Gnabry. Fourth minute, one nothing. 19th minute, a beautiful low cross into the box. Tomas Müller leaves it off to Leon Goretzka at the top of the box. He just absolutely pummeled this thing in the back of the net, make it 2 nothing. It was really funny because I had been watching this game coming home from work, and I now work out of school, so I shower every time because, you know, I don't want COVID on me. And it was funny. I was listening. I was in the middle of the shower, and I heard somebody say penalty, and I was like, oh, what? Byron's up 3 nothing already? Because because it's Robert Lewandowski. You step up to the box and you step up to the spot and you know that it's absolutely automatic. Even Phil Bonney, who was on the commentary for the World Feed, said you'd have to put your house on him scoring. And that's exactly what happened. It's Lewandowski's, Lewandowski's 10th match in a row scoring against Schalke. And that is the most for any person against any team in Bundesliga history. Go to halftime up 3-0. 47th minute, a weaving run from Leroy Sané. New signing, Leroy Sané, made his start, made his debut. Uh, took a touch around his former teammate, Ray Farman. Uh, Gnabry recovered and cleaned it up for nothing. 59th minute, Serge Gnabry completes the half trick. At this point, the offense is on autopilot. Sané to Serge. Hattie, uh, I think that's 5. Yeah, that's 5-0. 69th minute, 
a nice minute deserves a nice assist from a nice goal. And oh boy, did we get one of those. A Robert Lewandowski Rabona assist clipped the ball from his foot around the back of his plant leg and one timed into the back of the net from Thomas Müller, making it six to nothing. But of course, the one man that we were all keeping our eyes on today was Leroy Sané, who was making his debut for Bayern Munich against his former side, Joshua Kimmich, on this beautiful long through ball. Sané curled it around Farman, scored on his debut against his old side to make it 7-0. Ten minutes later, ladies and gentlemen, we have a baby scoring! It is Jamal Musiala. He's now officially the youngest Bayern Munich player to ever score on his debut. The youngest Bayern Munich player to ever score in the Bundesliga. We don't even know how that happened. I don't even remember Musiala coming in. And yet here he is. He cuts in from the left wing, slots it home. Final score for Bayern Munich, 8-0. Boys, quick recaps on this game. What were your thoughts? What were you liking? What were you loving? Is this team... So much better with Roy Sané on it. Discuss. I thought Bayern looked electric in the game. There was so much speed, so much skill on display. It was a lot of fun to watch. We got to see something that I thought was very interesting, and it was that the the, the players interchanged so much positionally that it almost looked like the defense was they were confused. They didn't know where Sané was going. Was he going to be attacking centrally or was he going to be out wide? Was Thomas Muller going to overlap? Where was he going to get to once the ball entered the box? It was utter confusion in the Schalke defense. And, and granted, maybe it's not that hard to confuse Schalke at this point, but I was really impressed. You couldn't ask for a better start, Jake. Tom, what did, what did you see? Because I, I came away thoroughly impressed with Byron. I mean, you have to take everything in context. I mean, Daryl Splick, Jake, and I were basically spending a good portion talking about how much of a dumpster dumpster fire Schalke are. I know that I took credit for saying it would be carnage. I only predicted 4-0. I didn't quite predict 8-0, but I do think we have to take that into consideration. But with that being said... You know, just as you mentioned, the interchangeability between those front four guys, Sané, Muller, Gnabry, and Lewandowski was just so lethal. And, you know, Schalke really had difficulty tracking the runners, you know, tracking those spaces in behind. Uh, the interchangeability of the flanks just really did a number on them. And um, one thing I noticed I wrote about this over the weekend, too, is just Leroy Sané, man. Just the for someone who's coming back from a cruciate ligament injury and trying to get full match fitness, he's just so quick. He's always there for the out ball. The minute Bayern would would win possession, either in the back line or the midfield, Sané could just hit the hit the Jets. I believe for his goal, this is exactly what happened. Uh, Kimmich receives possession a few yards out of the eight outside of the eighteen. Sané just hits the Jets and is just wide open. Goes into that open space. It just hit the Jets, and then take a couple touches later, he buries it in the bottom left corner of the net. And that was just one of those things that was really refreshing to me because, again, this is a guy who's coming back from injury, hasn't played much football in the past 12 months. And the other thing I really liked was just the uh, what I called Kim Retzka, the double pivot of Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich. Someone had replied on Twitter saying that we can think of a better nickname. Um, that's definitely in the works, but. To their credit, you know, I think they just have such a solid understanding. A lot of people are worried, you know, now Tiago's gone. He was such an important part of that triple pivot. But these guys just have such great understanding, you know. At times it looked like we were just playing two center backs as our wing backs were just pushed so high up. And the understanding between Goretzka and Kimmich, who's dropping back, 
who was pressing forward was, was just so good, and they did a good job uh, flip-flopping that, and it was just complete control from Bayern. Tom, I think that's a great point about Kimmich and Goretzka. They really do work well together. And I know everyone is is hung up on Thiago and losing such a good player like that. Is, it's never a good thing. But the way that those two play together and the communication that they have, I never felt like at any point there was a drop-off. Now, I'm not saying either player has the individual skill of Thiago, but together they really work well. And I didn't think there was any drop-off or any any step back in their play. And uh, Jake, I wanted to see if, if, you, if you kind of felt the same way I did. Did you think that Sané was kind of being a little too unselfish in the beginning? Because it looked like... You know, until about midway through the game, he was really looking to set everyone else up and, and kind of show that he was a team player. That's the way that I kind of read things. It was really interesting because for a while I was saying to myself, go ahead, take advantage of this. It's your old side. It's your first game in a Bayern Munich uniform. You're a German. There's probably not going to be another pinnacle of a team that you could get to in terms of playing in your home country and Schalke fans out there listening to this pod. I absolutely 100% mean that, and you probably would too if you were in my position as well. But I think that it was really interesting to see a player like Sané come in and really try to assert himself, not as a goal-scoring threat, because we all know that he's a goal-scoring threat when he needs to be, but he wanted to show that he could be a team player. And I kind of got that from everybody, right? Except for Serge Gnabry, but in fairness, Gnabry was given so many open chances in front of goal, you'd be an idiot if you wanted to pass those up. But that new double pivot of Goretzka and Kimmich, if that's going to be the new double pivot, I'm kind of fine with that. And I kind of expected that because while Thiago is absolutely fantastic and I'm going to miss the heck out of him and it's going to suck now that he's playing at Liverpool, Tom, I'm perfectly fine with Kimmich there. My only reservation is if Benjamin Pavard goes down and we're not able to sign anybody at right back because then the question becomes who replaces Joshua Kimmich at that double pivot, because we know for a fact if somebody goes down and we don't have a backup right back, it's going to be Kimmich that is going there. So you look at people like Mikhail Cuisance, you look at people like Quentin Tolisso, and while they both are pretty good, very good, I love Quentin Tolisso. I still have a little bit of time to get sold on Cuisance, but I mean, I've seen it. I've seen a lot of good things from him so far, like injury, like signing a right back, which I know Hansi wants to go out and do needs to be paramount. You need to go ahead and flip that 30 million that you got for Tiago and turn it into a right back as soon as possible. But to go back onto your point of Sané, it was really funny how fluid this team looked like a team. And with eight goals scored, you could argue that Bayern didn't take it easy, but at some times it really looked like they did. It almost reminded me of that Barcelona game, not only in the sense of the scoreline, but in the style of play that Bayern had. They were just so utterly dominant, and there was nothing that you could do to stop them. Yeah, and I, I think some of the chances, too, I know that someone commented on the article that I wrote about assessing his first performance. Probably the only negative was uh, there were a few situations where Bayern were really on the break, um, and he kind of just maybe played the wrong pass just a couple split seconds too late and kind of put his head up in frustration uh, and kind of stopped running. But I honestly think there were just so many situations where with his pace, you know, running alongside Gnabry, Muller, Lewandowski, 
it was so quick that I think he was almost shocked uh, or surprised or just not ready for the amount of time he had on the ball. Um, And he was absolutely spoiled for choice as far as who to pass it to. And, you know, he had to make a very quick split decision. Whereas if it would have just been Muller, Gnabry, or just Lewandowski as the open man, it would have been, you know, pen to paper, very easy stuff. He would have made that pass and and made it work. But uh, to your credit too, you know, the unselfishness is, and even when there were plays when he was open and he didn't receive the ball, he's never complaining about it. Uh, And then just always saying to his teammates, good look, or, you know, you made the right decision. Let's just keep pressing. Um, And it was just such a perfect team goal. It was Gnabry's second. Um, Honestly, God, I think was it the fourth goal or the fifth goal that we had scored. Um, It was him who had uh, taken the ball down very nice on his chest after, uh, I think it was Muller had headed it out. Someone took a touch, and there was a nice, lovely pass from Kimmich over the top where he had taken it down uh, and just, you know, he could have taken the shot himself, kind of took a – a clever turn, shielded the ball from a defender that was coming on, and Gnabry was right there. And that's, if that's a sign of things to come, then, uh, like I said, after the Champions League uh, trouble-winning podcast episode, you know, this is only the beginning. You know, granted, this was Schalke, but, you know, it's a very, very good sign of things to come, especially in attack. So before we go ahead and take our break, just a quick wrap-up of everything else that happened in the Bundesliga in the first weekend uh, for all the other games, Frankfurt tied <laughs> Armenia Bielefeld, and Bielefeld scored first. Great job to the debutants up in the top flight for this year. Köln had a really tough game against Hoffenheim. Uh, it went down to the wire, but Hoffenheim made it 3-2 just at the death. They walk away with all three points in this one. Another similarly close game between Union Berlin and Etze Augsburg. Um, Augsburg was leading 1-0 for most of the game. Marius Bolzer tied it late in around the 70th minute. But then Augsburg was able to take control of the game. They win this one 3-1. Etze Freiburg beating also newly promoted side VfB Stuttgart 3-2. A 4-1 domination of uh, Hertha Berlin over Werder Bremen. Uh... To all of our Verde Bremen fans out there, this might be a tough season for you guys. Uh, Borussia Dortmund takes the Borussia Derby 3-0 over München Gladbach. RB Leipzig showing that they haven't slowed down despite the fact that they lost Timo Werner 3-1 for them over Mainz. And then the last game of the weekend was kind of a stinker, a 0-0 draw between a Havertzless Bayer Leverkusen and a anybody less uh wolfsburg we're gonna take our quick break and then when we come back we will do a segment we haven't done in a while we will answer your questions that you've sent to us via the hashtag askbpw stay with us Welcome back, and now we go into our Peabody-nominated segment, uh, Ask BPW, where we take your questions and we answer them live on the podcast right now. So, Twittermeister, let's see what you got for us, and I'm excited to answer everybody's questions. Right, and I'm sure we've been nominated for more than that for Ask BPW. I mean, I think you're selling (laughs) us a little bit short there. Um, But the first question that we're going to tackle comes from at Lizzie Carr 2, and they simply ask, can Bayern have a perfect season? Are we talking entirely perfect? Like perfect through no perfect losses. Through the Pokal, perfect through the Bundesliga, perfect through all of the group stages of the Champions League and then winning it all. Um yeah. 
I mean, it's possible. Do I think it's going to happen? I imagine that there's going to be, like, some team that Bayern slips up against. And all I'll say is this before I'll, I'll pass it over to Chuck. The real thing is injuries, right, and the depth of this Bayern squad. Because this Bayern squad has been built on depth and depth alone, and talented depth at that. The real weak spot right now, as he hasn't bought a, li- a right back, as I mentioned in the first segment, it's you got to go out and get yourself a backup right back, right? Somebody that you can pull Benjamin Pavard off at the 60th minute, and then you could plug them in without having to put Kimmich there and say, yeah, I'm fine with him taking over that spot and staring somebody down on the wing for the final 30 minutes of the game. Um, that injury bug may be the one thing that kills this Bayern team because last year's injury bug was awful. We all remember how awful the injury bug was. And if it wasn't for creativity in terms of team building, we wouldn't have succeeded as good as we did or as well as we did. And if Bayern hits an injury bug hard this season, most importantly on the back line, because we got depth in the front for a while, if we get hammered on that back line, then I don't know if we could be able to manage a perfect season this year. You know, upon first hearing the question, my immediate response was, Hell no, there's no way that can happen. But then, you know, I think about it and I look at Hansi Flick and how he's never satisfied. I mean, the great meme that was going around this weekend that was like one nothing with Hansi with the same expression on his face. Then it was like 3 nothing, and then it was like 45 nothing or whatever. It's the truth. This guy has such a standard that he keeps the players to and the way he uses the players and seems to have a read on how they're playing, when they need rest. In, in a season like this that's so condensed and that's going to be tough and it's going to test everyone's ability to stay healthy and everyone's ability to dig down and perform on short rest, I, you know, I don't think they can be perfect. But honestly, when you look at the team, if there was ever a team that was set up to do something like this in maybe a year where aside of Borussia Dortmund, the league isn't maybe... Um, as competitive as some other years. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I I don't think it will happen. That said, I mean, the talent and the managerial skill of Hansi Flick should at least keep us interested to see if they can make it play out that way. Yeah, I mean, just to add from a sports science perspective, I mean, this is going to be absolutely ridiculous to see. I mean, yes, we we had the large break in the season from the coronavirus uh, earlier this year, but Obviously, this is going to be the first full season that's been completely truncated. And it's funny, obviously, when you win a lot of stuff, they make you play more pointless matches. So we've got the TFL Super Cup and the UEFA Super Cup to deal with. Lots and lots of English weeks. I know there was a, uh, I know you guys remember the, I think it was a kicker piece where the sports scientist was talking about, yeah, Hansi Flick is going to need uh, to rotate a guy like Lewandowski out you know, who's, uh, who's already in his thirties and already has so many miles under his legs. It's just going to be physically and humanly impossible. Not to say that there's things that are humanly and physically impossible that Lewandowski hasn't already done. Uh, cause the man is an absolute machine, but just going off of that basis, I, I think that it'd be really tough to, to not lose a match, but I will agree with Chuck by saying if there's any team that can do it, it's definitely Bayern. You know, every other team in the league is going to be competing with this. So I think we're the most equipped and we'll just have to get those rotations correct. So moving on to the next question, we're kind of going to kind of combine two here. Um, And so basically the question is, 
who is the best replacement for Tiago? Uh, and do we have anyone within our own squad, or should we look to the transfer market, which is still open until October? Uh, and that came from at Zuzu Daher. All right. Well, I mean, yeah. When you look at Tiago, and like we talked about earlier in the show, it's impossible to replace him. But Bayern is as well equipped as anyone with Kimmich and Goretzka in the double pivot. Like we talked about, they communicate well, they work well off each other. When it seems like they need coverage where one is pressing up, there's always one staying back. And I think that they both bring something to the table that's a little different than Tiago. Uh, Goretzka is a physical presence. He's a real box-to-box midfielder, even if he doesn't get up as much as maybe we would like to see anymore. He can go box-to-box. He can be physical. He's got pretty good vision, and his passing is getting a lot better. Kimmich, I think if we really want to talk about it, might be one of the top 10 to 15 players in the world at this point. He has really made strides over the past two years. I'm completely and utterly confident when he's on the ball. He doesn't need to maybe be as big or as physical as Goretzka, but he finds himself in the right spaces with his intellect. I think he is really the key. I don't think Goretzka will be a like-for-like replacement for Thiago, but I think Kimmich probably gives the closest to what Tiago could bring to the table, but the combination together with the backups of Tolisso and Cuisance and some of the other new players that Bayern has brought in, I think there's enough depth there to really cover Tiago. Even if it is even if he was a great talent and Bayern lost him, I think they have enough. They're well equipped right now. Absolutely. In my mind, I really am not afraid of Bayern not being able to replace Tiago, which is not to say that Tiago was a bad player, you find quality in Tiago that you don't find in anyone else. Um, but with that being said, I think Bayern has the quality in their squad. I think that if Hansi Flick really felt that he wasn't able to get a Tiago-like player, that they would have been looking to buy somebody this summer. But the fact that you have you still have a glut of central midfielders, right? You could probably completely ignore the fact that we still have Javi Martinez on our squad for now until he might leave for Athletic Bilbao this week. But you look at it, it's just Leon Goretzka probably has the potential to become one of the best central midfielders in the world in the next two years. Joshua Kimmich was unsatisfied with being the best right back in the world and has now become one of the best central midfielders in the world. And then you have a World Cup winner in Corentin Tolisso on the bench. You've got a great youngster in Mikhail Cuisance back there as well. I'm not too afraid. I'm not too afraid of Bayern failing to be able or failing to replace uh, Thiago because with the depth in the squad, I just don't think it's possible. Jake, one thing I think is key to, to, to remember for all of us is that Tiago did want to leave. It's not as if he was forced out or that Byron wanted him to leave. This was the player's decision. Yeah. So, I mean, in the end, I mean, while we all might dislike the fact that he left, it was never really an issue for us. Tiago was going to leave either way. And and to be honest, Byron, maybe, maybe they're a little bit lucky that they're so well-equipped in the midfield. Maybe all this bitching I've done for years about having a midfield logjam finally is going to pay off. I mean, now that you've lost arguably your best player in that position, it helps to have a logjam of midfielders. Before, when none of them were linked with a move, 
it was a big problem, but now it's helpful to them. Yeah, both you guys pretty much hit the the nail on the head there. And, you know, not to mention in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking of a guy like uh, Tangai Nyanzu, who also possesses the ability to play as a number six, which is pretty much Kimmich's position right now. But just as Chuck was mentioning, you know, both Kimmich and Goretzka have, you know, the ability to go box to box when and if needed. Um, I know Goretzka is usually more the guy that does that, but Kimmich absolutely has come, as uh, excuse me, Chuck was saying, absolutely confident in possession. I have no problems with him being put anywhere in the midfield um, in, in the center of the park. And um, I know I, I kind of said we were going to combine two questions. I apologize. I kind of like had a brain fart and never really got to the second part of the question, but kind of want to one up this question and specifically make it about a certain midfielder, uh, which was asked by at uh, Bren underscore O'Neill. Um, and they ask, can Taliso realistically pick up a lot of the slack? Remember, this was a guy who at one point was our record signing not too long ago. So uh, Taliso, it's, he's an interesting player because he's got so many good qualities to his game. He is very much like Leon Goretzka in the fact that he can go box to box and is probably most effective in doing that. He represents a big offensive threat anytime, as just we saw against Schalke. I mean, the minute Taliso got onto the pitch, he was integral in, in the offensive attack there. So he is one of the players I think that will, if he's healthy, be able to come in and provi- provide some of that depth that we're looking for here. Uh, Taliso, like Jake mentioned, he's a, he's a World Cup winner. And the only thing that really stunted his growth was that horrific knee injury that he had. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think he's still working his way back from that, even though now it's been quite some time. I mean, it hit those types of ACL injuries hit every player differently, and it seems like he maybe needed a little more time. And I haven't necessarily been harsh on him. When I've mentioned in the past that I I felt like he should move on, it wasn't because I doubted his ability as a player. It's because he was at the point in his career at his age where he needs to play, and I still worry a little bit that he's going to be able to stay healthy at Bayern. Not healthy, but stay happy at Bayern in kind of a reserve role. Right. And at that point, you had no idea Tiago wanted to leave, you know, when you were saying all that stuff. So hindsight, taking everything into consideration. Uh, Jake? My whole thing with uh, Corentin Tolisso, and I've obviously been incredibly vocal and supportive of Corentin Tolisso being on our team. He was born and raised loving Bayern Munich. So I honestly love it when clubs go out and find players that supported their clubs from the beginning it just gives the fan base more of a reason to love them. And I think that's especially true for Corentin. And when I, I don't think I ever said that I wanted Corentin Taliso to leave, but I share Chuck's concerns that he absolutely needs to grow. And I don't know if he's going to get the playing time that he needs at Bayern Munich, barring knocking on wood barring an injury to somebody, right? I think if somebody goes down with an injury, Corentin automatically slots in. He has that ability to play that double pivot incredibly well. He plays beautiful passes. We've seen it in person. We've seen it on first teams that he has that quality. He has that ability. Um, Do I think that he should be starting some games? Yeah, probably. If somebody goes down, he should absolutely be starting some games. I think he should probably also be starting some day of Pokal matches just to keep him happy, but my one concern is that he's not going to be happy. 
and that he's going to have come to his boyhood club and then they're going to let him down and disappoint him because he hasn't because there's better players in front of him and he's not able to get the best playing time. Do I think that there's a club out there that needs somebody like him? I mean, there probably is. There's not somebody coming to mind, right? Like, Dortmund doesn't need him. I know he got linked with Inter Milan. I don't really think that they need him, especially just because they signed Arturo Vidal. They've got Brozovic as well, and he's phenomenal. Um, nobody in Italy really needs a central midfielder right now, at least in terms of the top teams. Spain, I mean, Barcelona is about to lose Ricky Puig, so I don't know if... Uh, if they'd be interested in taking Toliso or if they're going to try to hold on to like the only good Lamazia graduate that they have right now. So to me, I think he needs playing time, but I think he needs equal playing time. And by equal playing time, I mean, he has to be at a club that's equal to the stature of Bayern Munich. And off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody that needs somebody like that right now. Jake, since you mentioned it, was that you who uh, retweeted the picture of a young Toliso or did you find it? He was like, he was, had to have been five or six years old. He was wearing a Bayern kit. I don't know. I believe he tweeted that out when he first signed to Bayern. I, th- I thought it was you who retweeted it this weekend, though. Someone, I saw it circulating. I thought it might have been you since you had mentioned it. Um, I don't think I saw that. It might not have been me. But yeah, it, immediately when you're thinking about that, too, you know, the uh, or when you mentioned that, I'm thinking of the gif of him. It's one of my favorite gifts of him that uh, I use on Twitter, you know, whenever he does something uh, in the 3-1 against PSG when we beat them at the Allianz Arena, even though we had already secured progression in the first, uh, the top spot in that group at the time when he scored, you know, just the way he was celebrating. Granted, there's a French connection there and, you know, PSG were one of his rivals at one point, but I know you guys probably know the gif I'm talking about, the intense face he's making. Um, Just to add to everything too, as I was talking about the truncated season earlier, this season is perfectly poised for a guy like him. You know, r- rotations are going to be absolutely necessary. Jake, as you mentioned, DFB Pokal, Champions League, Bundesliga matches, all within very, very close proximity to one another. As I mentioned, lots and lots of English weeks this season. So it's going to be absolutely needed. Um, you know, and I definitely kind of stand with Uli Honus on this one when he was saying, you know, last week that, you know, there's no need for a replacement, you know, we have to look internally because we already have the quote unquote new signings within our squad already. And Toliso, I think is one of those players. And, you know, I really hope it works out for him. And I, I really would love for this to be a, a breakout season for him. So the next question comes from at Muhammad Omar M12. And they ask, which of these two players is the right player for Bayern, Serginio Dest or Max Ahrens? I kind of want to hear Tom's opinion on this because he is a Premier League follower. Max Ahrens is a former Premier League player. Was there anything that you saw from him over the season that really screams out to you that he's a generational talent for not necessarily the English national team, but at that position at all? It's also tough because Norwich are a team the Canaries gave up quite a few goals, so it's very tough to evaluate individual performances in that respect. But Looking a little bit deeper, you know, he's a young guy, 20 years old, um, kind of a lot like Serginho Desk. Granted, I really don't watch much Eredivisie uh, other than the YouTube videos I've seen of him since we were linked with him. But what I would say about Max Ahrens, you know, this is definitely a player we, we can build for the future at such a young age. Pacey likes to get forward, can definitely bang in the crosses. Um, and we were talking about this just a few moments ago. You were asking um, questions about if someone like Benjamin Pavar goes down. 
this could be the perfect guy to have in the reserves or, you know, on the bench to, uh, you know, really you know, step in in a few matches when, when need be, if, especially if it's not Serginho Des. And, you know, I wonder if we could wind up getting a relatively cheaper price for Aaron's than Dest. I know that the reports recently as early as the end of this week had said that basically at this point between Bayern and Ajax, it's just agreeing the fee. Personal terms have already been agreed. Dest really wants to come to Bayern. He's made it clear. Uh, but we'll see. You know, sometimes it's silly season. Everything you read can turn out to be not true in the snap of a finger and things can change very quickly. So uh, I guess at the luxury of having both linked with us, it's tough to say who I'd prefer, but I would absolutely have no problems if uh, we wind up getting Max Aarons instead of Serginho Dest or just get Max Aarons, even if it's not instead of Serginho Dest. Chuck, who would you prefer? I mean, I would I would say Dest at this point, but I got to be honest, I don't really want either player. And it's not because there's a lack of talent there. I hate thinking about a young player coming to Bayern to sit on the bench. And I don't know why. I guess it's because maybe there's this one part of my brain that when I see a young player, I see that, you know, eager ability, the eagerness to get on the field. And I feel like when a player is young, they need to be at a club where they're going to get game experience. And I just can't see, even in a condensed season like this, that Dest or Aarons or Tom, even if they signed you and gave you the boots and you put them on, I don't think you would play a lot either. So I, I just feel like I would love a veteran player to come in, someone who's stable. And I don't even have a name right now because I've been kind of mulling this over in the background here. I mean, for Rafinha. weeks. Give me Rafinha back now. I want Rafinha. That'd be perfect. But I would love a veteran to come in and be behind Benjamin Pavar and just be be able to provide that backup when we need someone. I just don't like to see young players come and sit because I feel like it always breeds unhappiness and a bit of contentment. And I just, I I would prefer to see both of those young players be in an environment where they could kind of flourish and get game experience. And I just don't, I'm not sure they're going to get it here. Chuck, hopefully hopefully we can convite, we can find the uh, Ivan Perisic of right backs. You know, I would love to be in a situation where, you know, end of September, beginning of October, we're talking about, oh my God, we just made fail safe signings again. These are so stupid. And then, you know, a couple, you know, nine or 10, 10 months down the road, we're talking about another trouble where, oh, this guy, such a veteran presence, you know, he did so good for us. And, and Parasic, it's a great example, Tom, because he was exactly, whether anyone felt that way or not, when the move went down, he was exactly what Byron needed. And I do think you need that mix of young, players you need those middle career players and the older players and Bayern does have a a decent mix right now I just worry that if you load too much up on the young players you're not they're not going to have the ability to grow and selfishly I like to see those young players get an opportunity and, and to to not just get game experience but being a starter being a consistent starter and figuring those things out on the field that you can't quite do on the bench I think when it comes to young players, you have to not only consider um, their talent level and their potential talent level, but you also have to consider marketability, especially for young players coming from like countries that are just trying to develop their soccer brand or even like older countries, right? So the way that I look at Americans in the Bundesliga, right? I don't, I don't necessarily 
and this is not to say, this is not at all to say that he is under-talented, but I don't necessarily know if Giovanni Reina goes to Borussia Dortmund because of this, without the success of his father. And that's not to discount him as a player at all. He is a phenomenal player. He is a great talent. But to have a marketable player with an interesting last name that Americans will recognize and enjoy, like Gio Reyna's, it's a great move for Borussia Dortmund to go out and get him. Contrast that with somebody like Serginho Dest, who doesn't have that name, but he still has some, like, relative marketability, like, any, like, most followers of the U.S. men's national team are maybe not necessarily following Serginho Dest, but they're aware of who he is, and they're aware of the future that he might bring to the United States, and contrast that with Max Ahrens, I think that he's not going to find a lot of starting time in the English national team. And Tom, you know that exact reason why he's not going to find that. It's because Trent Alexander-Arnold has that starting spot locked down. So I think that, and this is a weird roundabout way to get to my point, but here's what I'm going to say. I think out of those two, Bayern should sign Max Ahrens for the reason being Aaron's is going to compete for starting time in an English national team, but he's not going to be the main starter. So they can develop him, but he's not going to have that equal amount of pressure on him that Serginho Dest is going to have if he comes to join Bayern Munich. As an American, I want Dest to go to a high-quality side that will consistently give him starting time against greater competition. I don't think the Eredivisie is that place for him. I could see him going to somewhere in France. I could see him going to... I know they're not going to take him or they don't need him, but like a mid-table Premier League side like Wolverhampton, like I think that would be a decent spot for him to land. But Max Ahrens does not have the weight of his country's expectations at right back on him like Serginho Dest does. So for that reason, being a selfish American, I hope that Dest goes to a place where they need him. I think Barcelona might actually be a pretty decent place because whether they like it or not, Barcelona needs to start moving towards younger players. They've already mentioned how they're looking to sell Nelson Semedo. They've tried out experimental lineups with Sergi Roberto in the midfield. So I think that Dest might be a great purchase for this Barcelona team. Meanwhile, Aaron's is a high-quality talent, and he wants to get the heck out of a relegated Norwich City side, a year in the championship isn't going to do him any good. So I think that Byron might be a perfect place for him to get some backup time if he has to suck it up and play a couple of minutes down in uh, the Dreite Liga with uh, FC Bayern 2. I think that might not be the worst thing, especially if he talks to somebody like Alfonso Davies, who kind of made his name and made his starting time in that first year at Bayern Munich because he played so well in the third division side. So I think Max Ahrens would be perfect. And I'm very, I'm probably incredibly selfish as an American saying these things about Serginho Dest, but he needs to go to a place where he can get consistent starting time 
and develop against the best in the world. And with Pavar already at the position that he is, I don't think Bayern Munich's going to provide him that opportunity. And, and if we're going to provide some selfish American opinions, I've got one too. Oh, I knew where uh, you were going to yes. go with this as well. <laughs> yeah, so, so I don't want to forget our guy, Chris Richards, who Absolutely mo- not. most know as a center back, but does have the ability to play right back. And in fact, did so in the first half of the of the season last year for the Bayern reserve team. So I think we have to look at it. I won't be heartbroken if Bayern doesn't get a reserve or doesn't pick up another right back because I think it could not only give Richards a chance to maybe get some time at that position, but it could also open up Hansi Flick's playbook a little bit. Maybe he could shift to a back three at times, use Richards back there in a back three as a center back and slide in another midfielder or another striker and be able to get, you know, some of those players like Cuisance or maybe Xerxes or maybe even my guy, the ARP train eventually into the lineup at times. Now, Jake, I know you and I love to discuss and talk about how much Chuck's quote unquote trains derail absolutely miserably. Mm-hmm. So this last question we're going to tackle mm-hmm. is tailor made for Chuck and for us to kind of banter yep. it. And it comes from at, at Jess, of house trub and they ask will the arb train get up and running this year chuck take the floor i'm leaving it to chuck first you gotta go first on this one buddy absolutely this is all on you i feel like i'm at a congressional hearing right now but i i would gladly take this head on and i do think that this is the year the arp train stays on track stays healthy and can finally make an impact at Bayern munich and listen Last season, we all forget because he missed 100 days. He missed 100 days with injuries and sicknesses. I mean, who does that? I mean, that is some incredibly bad luck. We all forget that he was tracking at the end of last year's summer tour to be one of the weekly reserves. And then he had one injury after another. He had a hand injury, an arm injury, uh, intestinal issue that created some sickness. He had a foot injury. The poor kid battled injury. He was like Job. I mean, if he would have had, uh, <laughs> I mean, you could pick out any one of Job's uh, plagues there and are arguably face the same. I was really upset for the kid because I like him. And I think last summer we got to see his ability. We got to see what he did to Marcelo in the International Champions Cup Tour. We got to see his ability to push out to the wing and create some offense out there. And he also scored a goal against Tottenham Hotspur, which, you know, might not be that impressive to you Premier League fans. But to me, that was a big step in the right direction. So I think if this kid can keep his health in order and he can stay on the pitch, he is going to work his way back to the Bayern Munich senior team lineup. I actually like him better than Joshua Xerxes at this point. I think Xerxes is another kid with potential. But I think in the long term, ARP offers more skill at the position. And I got to be honest, I think that this kid, if not for that bad luck, we would all be having a different opinion about him right now. But that's kind of the way sports work, right? I mean, a lot of it is your skill. A lot of it is luck. And unfortunately, that poor kid had so much bad luck last season that you know, he was derailed. And you know what? It was probably my fault, to be honest, because anytime I jump on Mm -hmm. someone's bandwagon, they seem to have horrific luck or just in general, the public turns against them. So I want to thank all you people for making me so unpopular that I am shifting the luck of professional athletes. I mean, pick on Tom for Christ's sakes. (laughs) I'm going to say like even your reverse trains 
work terribly for you. Like, you are anti-Havertz to Bayern, and Havertz is phenomenal, even though he hasn't gotten the greatest start with Chelsea. And uh, you're probably going to be very mad at me with this, and I think a lot of Bayern fans might be mad at me with this. I completely disagree with your opinion that we would have a different opinion of Jan Fita Arp right now, and here's the reason why. Joshua Xerxes' two goals that he scored for Bayern Munich last year at the end of the uh, Hinderinde absolutely secured his spot at the top. So much so that they put him there over Kwasi Vriet, who scored over 25 goals for FC Bayern's vibe down in the Dreite Liga last year. I don't think that Arp would have gotten the same amount of starting time because in the times that he was healthy, I believe he played over 10 games last year. He had three goals, no assists. Versus Xerxes, who, if I recall, he scored either seven or nine goals. Um, Arp also has the ability to play second striker, like center attacking midfielder. Sarpreet Singh did very well last year in that exact same position, and Vreet had 25 goals. I don't think Arp would have gotten that consistent starting time, and I'll even go so far as to say that if he did... Bayern might not have won the third division last year, and I will stick by that idea firmly, because if you have a player that scores 25 goals in a season, you're not going to start Jan Fita Arp if he's not that guy. What I will say is that this year is his opportunity to be that guy, to be able to step up and be that guy, because despite his perceived talent level, which I think we all believe that he has some perceived future and some good talent there that could be nurtured and turned into something better. If he doesn't make that known this year, I think his value is going to drop a lot. So here's here's my thing, right? Here's the real time where I will completely jump off uh, Chuck's ARP train before it completely derails. If he plays 25 games next season and he fails to break 10 goals, I think he's done. I think you can't, I don't know how you could hold on to a player who earns $5 million a year, who can't score more than 10 goals throughout an entire season for your reserve side in the third division. Do you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a move to SV Darmstadt more than anything else. That sounds like a move to a second division team. Maybe you'd be able to come up to like a lower level Bundesliga team and try to make something out of your career, but if he can't pull it together in the third division this year, I think he's done. And it's sad to say, but you can't have a guy earning five million a year not scoring more than ten goals down in the third division. That's fully understand, and all of that is saying he's healthy and plays for twenty five. Jake, games. if he doesn't score ten goals uh, with Bayern's second team, he'll be playing with Tom on Sunday mornings. We won't have to worry about Darmstadt or Ingolstadt or any Stadt. He'll be playing with Tom Stadt. Okay, <laughs> so I don't disagree with you, Jake. And that's kind of where he's at in his career. Unfortunately, he's in a position that because he had one incredible year of bad luck, he now has to go out and perform. He doesn't have room to have off days. He doesn't have room to have off weeks. He has to consistently perform. If he doesn't do that, I mean, I'll be the first one to say he needs to go. But I see something in the kid, and and maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before, but I've also been right before. So 
hopefully this is one of those times where we're going to have such a nice conversation at the end of the year and say, you know what? It was really enjoyable to watch that kid rebound after an injury plague season and have a great year and work his way back into the actual Bayern Munich lineup. But we'll see, Jake. I don't know what you're talking about. When have you ever been right before? <laughs> okay, maybe I'm <laughs> lying about that. It's very rare. I'm especially not right when it comes to arguments with my wife or anything like that. So she could tell you that personally. Especially when it comes to you and train conducting as well. Tommy, why don't you toss it? I was just going to say, I think Chuck here. has done something very bad for, for Bavarian Podcast Works because I think now I'm just already thinking of how much I'm going to serially abuse Tomstad. That is amazing. I'm going to pitch that to the Sunday League team and all of my other co-ed teams once the indoor facility opens back up because that is absolutely amazing. And I'm I'm kind of jealous that I never thought of that because I've always... You already named the Fantasy League after yourself. You don't have to be more in vain than you are Tomstad right is absolutely perfect, though, and it rolls, off, it rolls off the tongue. I just like saying it, Tomstad. So there might be weekly updates that just get edited out of the podcast episode every week uh, by Jake. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, Chuck, I, I've read some very, very bizarre interviews since I've been contributing for Bavarian football works. And obviously there's always the discrepancy of the German to English translations, you know, cultural differences, but I, this is, I don't think I've ever seen anything as like bizarre from a player of ARP's age, a young player of ARP's age, like he said he wanted to, he's like, yeah, you know, if football doesn't work out or when I'm older, I want to open up my chain of burger stalls. And I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a, I, I like stuff like that. I think that's pretty awesome. So I almost kind of want to see him make it in the burger stall world. Like I said, the German English translation is a little bit loose and a little bit different, but I mean, if this guy winds up, you know, having injury problems and not making it at Bayern. If he becomes the Burger King and he creates his own German sitcom, I'm I'm 100% <laughs> hopping on the ARP train. I'm conducting it with you and we're just going to Whether he op- go ahead. <laughs> Whether he opens a burger joint or he makes it in the Bayern lineup, he's going to be friends with Nicolas Sula either way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki and Arp's Burger Shop. I Everyone love, would want to go there. I love that chonky boy. I love Nick Sula so That is much. awesome. Hey, Sula was looking fit and trim in that game, though. I was a little shocked. I thought, he was. I thought he might be. He might have packed on some LBs, but he let us down in that. He actually looks like he took care of himself. Listen, whoever that Bayern fitness coach is needs to become my new personal trainer because, dear God, if he could turn Leon Goretzka from looking like an average human being into the next Arnold Schwarzenegger... I want him. I want I want to look like that. I want to look like whatever that looks like. And if that's involving me running up and down German <laughs> Alps every single day and getting cinder blocks thrown at my stomach, then you know what? If I can look like that, I will absolutely do that. And I think we would all equally say, yes, we would take that immediately right now without hesitation. And you know where you're going to go to get your post-workout meal. Oh, it's gonna be Art Burger. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be Art Burger. Nikki and Arp's Burger Shop. That's I'm it. trademarking Arp Burger right now. That is ours. We have it. And Jan can contact me later in life when he decides to name it. Uh, but with that, until that happens, that will be the end of this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Thank you all for listening. Please be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you get your quality audio content. Follow us on Twitter at the Barrel Blog, at Tommy Adams seventy one, at Jefferson Fenner, and 
at Bavarian FB Works, and you can read our content every day at BavarianFootballWorks.com. So thank you very much for listening, and until next time, where we will be releasing a Der Ausblick episode ahead of the UEFA Super Cup match against Sevilla, we will see you later. Auf Wiedersehen.